Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lindsay sounds like absolute ass. <laughs> How dare you? I, I mean, listen, it's still cute, but holy oh, shit. Oh, yeah. If you guys want me to sing anything, tonight's the night. <laughs> I've never sounded better. Well, I really think. No, yeah, sing something. Okay. <laughs> Oops, I did it again. Pretty good. Right? <laughs> that sounds Ew. really good, actually. <laughs> I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And I'm, I'm a, a writer. writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Elisa Gabbert. Elisa Gabbert, a poet, critic, and essayist, is the author most recently of The Unreality of Memory and Other Essays and The Word Pretty. She writes a regular poetry column for the New York Times, and her work has appeared in Harper's Magazine, The New York Review of Books, A Public Space, and elsewhere. Her next collection of essays, Any Person is the Only Self, is forthcoming from Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. And her new book of poetry is called Normal Distance. Welcome, Elisa. Welcome. Thank you, guys. I'm a longtime listener. It's so exciting to actually hey. be on the show. <laughs> Thanks for being here. I love hearing that. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> from the beginning, truly from the beginning, like pre pre you having a little logo and everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had a logo. I just drew it myself. <laughs> okay, right. But it so a picture of it. One. No, I think I remember that. <gasps> I think I remember the old school logo. It was very like the early Nirvana albums. Exactly. You know? Yeah, I feel like we should for. do like a, a round of merch that's like yes. 20 shirts with the old logo. 20? <laughs> How about four? I know. I was going to say two of them will sell. There you go. <laughs> I would buy one. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I hear tell that you're going to read some essay to us. I would like to read some essay. <laughs> Some, some of some essay that's that's um, the technical phrase some yeah, essay. Mm-hmm. yeah so um as you as as you all know because we were just chatting a little before we started recording I've, I've been on the the smallest of small lowercase t tours and I'm just <laughs> I'm really sick of my poetry book already <laughs> like just, <laughs> just reading from it you know it's that happened mm-hmm. to you I'm just I feel like I've read the the greatest hits um like, it starts to be like You've read it so much that when you see people at the next reading, like I always think to myself, like somehow they know I've already read this. 
Well, it gets to a point where I'm like, I'm not even listening to myself when I'm reading. Like mm-hmm. I go into a hundred percent autopilot and I'm like <laughs> thinking totally other thoughts. It's crazy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, so I, so just, you know, to feel like fresh and new to myself and to you guys who I think deserve it, <laughs> I'm going to read a little bit of something that I haven't read out loud at all. Oh, cool. um, it's not that. published anywhere. It's, I hope going to be in my next book, which, um, I, I have turned in, but I haven't gotten edits back yet. So. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'm, I'll read like a, a few paragraphs and just see how it goes and hopefully find a good stopping place. It's kind of a long essay, but it's just kind of a chunk from the middle. Awesome. Um, so I don't, I don't think you need to know anything except that when, when I say John here in the beginning of this paragraph, that's, that's my husband. All right. John has a theory that everyone is either a squid or an eel. Baby squids are born as perfectly formed but teeny versions of their later selves. Eels go through radical changes over the course of one lifetime. To the degree that scientists used to think eels at different life stages were totally different types of eel. John claims he is an eel and I am a squid. When we met, I'd sometimes ask him what he thought of one book or another, and he would say he didn't know. He had read it, but 10 or 15 years earlier and no longer trusted his opinion. Every five to 10 years, he feels like a different self. Over the many years he's known me, he says, I've been strikingly consistent. I think about this theory whenever I revisit a book or a movie, half expecting my opinion to change and find that I feel much the same. It's the same river and I am the same man. I appreciate Hamlet much more than I used to, but it's too long and some of it is boring. When I was bored during Hamlet as a kid, I wasn't wrong. I've been rereading books in part to test my squidness. Reading Catcher in the Rye reinforced my squidness, but made me overconfident. Next, I started Breakfast of Champions by Vonnegut, which I adored at 16. I only made it through one chapter. Trout and Hoover were citizens of the United States of America, a country which was called America for short. This was their national anthem, which was pure balderdash, like so much they were expected to take seriously. It was too straightforward. I thought to myself, this book was written for children. Why didn't I think that of the Salinger? Or why did I think the same, but not in a negative way? In The Child That Books Built, Francis Spuford remarks that reading Catcher as an adolescent, usually you feel that he's doing being a lost boy more completely than you. You see the irony more as an adult. This is the artful double exposure of the book, but it works either way. Holden works as a character, whether you envy or pity him. I sometimes think what makes a book a classic is that it's appealing to young people yet belongs to a grown-up moral world. I think great books engender a feeling of longing, something just out of reach. When you're young, it's the grown-up world out of reach. When you're older, it's the freedom of youth. Each looks like freedom to the other. I decided to try Rabbit Run. As far as I recall, I read it during my senior year of high school, and immediately felt it was my favorite book. 
I read the other rabbit books in college and a few more updike novels in my 20s, but none of them struck me as much. Still, I have remained defensive of Updike. It seems like nobody likes him anymore. He's become a laughable figure and I'm protective of his old corpse. We went back to the book barn and I found a used copy, the trade paperback with a photo of a basketball on the cover, so lazy. I told a friend how much I hated the cover and he protested that it works because it's about an aging athlete. It's not about a basketball, David, I shouted. It's about lost youth. It was slow to get into, with meandering, slow, moody sentences not written for children. This farmhouse, which once commanded half of the acreage the town is now built on, still retains behind a shattered and vandalized fence its yard, a junk heap of brown stalks and eroded timber that will in the summer bloom with an unwanted wealth of weeds, waxy green wands, and milky pods of silk seeds and airy yellow heads, almost liquid with pollen. There's a smothering humidity to the prose. Then safe on the firm blacktop, you can decide whether to walk back down home or to hike up to the Pinnacle Hotel for a candy bar and a view of Brewer spread out like a carpet, a red city where they paint wood, tin, even red bricks, red, an orange rose flower pot red that is unlike the color of any other city in the world, yet the children of the, of the county is the only color of cities, the color all cities are. And then here and there, Amidst this thick, damp description, a short, clean sentence that's like coming up for air. There was no sunshine in it. About 50 pages in, I was wondering, why did I love this book about lost youth so much when I was young, before I'd lost anything? Did we know a little bit while still in youth how precious it was? I was not very into the book at that point. I couldn't remember what I'd liked about it at 17. It gave me an eel-like feeling. On the page torn from a notepad I was using as a bookmark, I wrote, I am disappointed in Updike. I wish it was funny at all. It was sometimes beautiful. I love that list of songs on the radio, the first time he runs away, that particular way of marking past time. But never funny, somehow baggy with too much fabric. And often so mean it's repulsive. It's rabbit. Harry Rabbit Angstrom that's mean and not the novel, I think. I don't think the novel is on Rabbit's side exactly. We are not permitted to stay too close to, to Harry and side with him too much. But still, it's hard to watch. That's how it feels that you're watching him be mean to his poor wife, Janice. Janice loves him, but she knows he's vile. On page 80, he tells Ruth, the woman he's just met that he's about to shack up with, that he'll run out for groceries and she can make lunch. He said last night you like to cook. I said I used to. Well, if you used to, you still do. That's a squid thing to say. I like the feeling of starting to like a thing I used to hate, but not the reverse. It's a pleasurable kind of cheating, a bending of rules, as opposed to a betrayal of the whole system. Around page 90, just when I thought I had seen enough and was about to stop reading, it suddenly got a little funny, as if wishes worked. And I'll stop there. Thank you, Elisa. That um, was so fun to hear you read because it was new first, but also the writer of that essay, other than literally being the same person who wrote the book of poems that we are going to talk a little bit about today 
felt related in a more important way other than just being the actual same person it's it feel it feels like a similar impetus is maybe even behind the essay, behind the essay behind other essays that you've read and your latest collection of poetry and it was something i was wondering listening to you read if you conceptualize the audience for your essays as the same audience for your poems or if you conceptualize a readership at all yeah um i i think it's hard not to after a certain point because once you have any kind of audience or readership um which i don't like i don't mean to brag about that i think having an audience or readership is like unfortunate in some ways (laughs) (laughs) um but (laughs) Once you do, like, you can't help but think of them. Like, feedback rings very loudly in your ears, especially sort of, like, wrong feedback. And I don't even mean negative feedback, but just sort of feedback that you don't agree with. Like, that wasn't... Like, even people liking your work, you know, sometimes it's just like, but that's not what I meant, (laughs) you know? Um, I just... I. I think, yeah, it's it's unfortunate to to know what people think sometimes because it it eats away at you a little bit when you're trying to just be in your writer brain. Um, but I do I feel like you know I started out as a poet and you know much, much of my early writing I didn't really hear from people at all. I don't think I had very much of an audience. I don't think I had that much readership outside of like my friends who I <laughs> would talk to about poetry and you know, I felt like they, they understood me because they were my friends. Um, but yeah, w- once it gets a little bigger than that, it just, it feels strange. You just become very aware of the gap between, you know, what you thought you meant and what, what, what you actually mean in the world, which is all these different kinds of things. And you have no control over that. It's just giving up of control. So I think I, I write a lot more words on the page and I do a lot more kind of quibbling and clarifying in prose because I can (laughs) like I know probably more people are going to read my prose and I I want to be kind of as clear as possible um without sacrificing artfulness and so yeah I just tend to go on for longer (laughs) does the feedback then at this point impact the essays differently than it does the poetry does the poetry feel closer to the writer you once were or does is do you is do you not conceive of it really that way um I think let me sit with this for a second it's so complicated (laughs) there's like layers of self here um it's not that one is, you know, more me or more the other exactly. It's like, I think the poetry is more of a disguise, Mm. but that's, that's harder to do in a way. You know what I mean? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's actually harder to act in front of people than to be yourself. Mm -hmm because it's more of a risk. It's like, 
scarier um, to do a performance than it is to just sort of be yourself, like the self that people know. So I think when I write prose, I'm closer to the self that people know, and poetry is more of a performance. And that's frightening. It's like, and it's not, it's not even just like, oh, jokey, drunk, karaoke performance. It's right. Like, I'm really <laughs> trying, to, I'm really trying to do something meaningful. And that's frightening. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense to me. I had the sense as I was reading these poems that um, it would be kind of how a mirror would describe <laughs> what people Ooh. were reflecting onto it, you know, because um, it's like we're on one side of the mirror and the world is is what it is. And it felt like um, it just felt like this way that um, that this conversation would be reflected by something that's already reflecting that's so <laughs> I don't know how to talk about poetry, but, um, and, and yes, I don't know, do. it, it, um, you do. It, it yeah. Feels, I, I it feels Alex. <laughs> related to what you're saying in that, like, it's a, it feels like a performance or a disguise for you, but, but really it's, um, like this conversation you're having with yourself, the, the self that is, um, like indiscriminately mirroring back, you know, and using the language that it has, um, and I don't know if I'm I'm it, it, like uh, affected by the cover. I was, my daughter, my four year old, is very into your book. And <laughs> I love that. <laughs> had um, a lot of questions about the cover and like, what are the gems doing, and why is this, and why is that? And, um, no, I think I think mirrors are a really really useful metaphor because you know they can they can sort of amplify. So it's taking something with you know maybe a little bit of truth value and like blowing it up or reversing it in a way where it's unclear, like, is this still true in the same way? Um, is it still true at a larger scale or a smaller scale? Or, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it, I, I'm kind of trying to play with truth value a lot, I think more so in my poetry than in my essays, where um, I'm usually trying to just kind of tell the truth without, without disguise or without amplification or reversal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's like I keep I keep thinking to myself like, oh, the poetry is more personal, but it's not. It's they're both personal, but there's something um it's it's like the difference between like someone who communicates by making something and someone who commu- communicates by writing something. Um mm. I yeah. I, yeah, it's like I don't know. I, I feel like it's more naked somehow Mm -hmm. and yet like I also feel like I can say things that I would never say in an essay because I am like it's figurative idiot like it's a poem it's It's a a metaphor dummy. (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 it's like I'm doing it in a dream so it doesn't Mm -hmm. really count yeah what people who love books I feel like which all three of us are of course uh love you know the aspects of the books that maybe aren't <laughs> the actual prose or, or poetry as equally as much, or, you know, uh, just have a huge interest in that stuff as well. And one of the aspects of normal distance that I found so interesting was the notes section, Elisa, um, because it seemed to me that it signaled that these were poems that you really searched for. And that may be me reading too much into it, but I was wondering if 
these you arrived at these poems in a different way than you arrived at poems previously in your career or if you just kind of consider yourself searching for language searching for poems as kind of your day-to-day existence and um the notes are reflective of that not of any kind of new process oh i i love that you said that because i'm such I'm such a sucker for like front and back matter and just in general, like I'm very interested in the kinds of decisions that go into making a book that like nobody ever talks about, you know, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. I feel like people always talk about the sort of early and middle parts of the processes and not the very end parts where you're making like really small decisions that like sort of don't matter, but really do. Mm-hmm. So I'm always so excited when people ask things like that. Um, so yeah, like the notes um, in a way, oh God, yeah. And I just, I just read a really great book of poetry that had a really awesome note section. Who was it? <laughs> um, Sist Viator by Sarah Mancuso, which is oh, like cool. her, mm-hmm. her second book of poetry is just like, you know, from maybe the early 2000s. And I feel like she's so known now for, for prose, but she's a great poet. Um, and I, yeah, it was like, I'm, I'm going to actually take some photos and send them to you guys. Cause you would love it so much. The notes cool. are so great, <laughs> but yeah, I want to like, you know, show my sources where I have sources, right? Like I'm very conscious of, of never wanting to like, steal valor for lack of a better word. Like, I don't want right. to, if, if I quote somebody and it's a really great idea, I don't want people to think I came up with it. Like, that's that's somebody else's greatness that I'm just borrowing um and sometimes the greatness is from reddit or wikipedia and I, <laughs> yeah. oh, love I love that I love wikipedia so yeah a, a lot of a lot of these poems did come from sort of like searching like you said Alex I was sort of searching for a way to write a poem because I find that you know the older I get it's just I don't have that same poetic muse that I used to have when I was younger where poems would just come to me like in full you know poets always talk about how poetry feels like transcription like it doesn't even feel like you're writing like it feels like the words are coming to you from some somewhere else and you're just channeling them I used to feel like that when I was young but like now that I'm older that sense is mostly gone I might get like a line that way but then I have to really work to turn that into a poem so when I was writing this book and trying to kind of start right start to write a new kind of book I had to find a new kind of poem to write that I felt like I could build a book around and I would often just be like well I have this like one interesting thought or this one (laughs) interesting line (laughs) like what else can I do with this and if I felt stuck I would like search either my Twitter or my email sometimes um, or like my existing word documents, you know, like everything that was on my laptop, <laughs> looking for things I had already thought or said using that word or that idea to kind of juice the system. Or sometimes I would just search Google and to try to get an idea from, from Wikipedia or whatever. And you find such interesting little bits of language on Wikipedia that are like, you know, who knows where they came from, how Mm -hmm. many people have touched that sentence Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's like history on the internet. 
Um, but yeah, I would, I would start that way just to get into a mindset where I'm like, okay, like I'm in this rhythm now, or I'm thinking about this thing and I can, now I can take the next step and come up with another idea or another thought in this vein. And I was always kind of trying to evoke this, this sense of like, not non sequitur, almost like a pseudo sequitur where whenever there's a jump between lines, it's like, not an expected next step, but not totally out of nowhere either, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, you just sort of jumped up or down a level in the video game mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of just turning around the corner on the block. Um, that was kind of what I was I was trying to evoke. But yeah, I did, yeah, I just, I had to start from that, <laughs> just like you mm-hmm. say. It was this interesting new process that I sort of came up with and then just rolled with for a few I- years. I love that you're talking about um, pseudo sequiturs and jumping up and down a level because I, I I had this sense as I was reading the poems, like something was building and like at the end there would be this like great like release or catharsis or like, oh my God, you know, like, you know, you really nailed it on that one, you know, <laughs> every time. And I would, I, you know, like lazily try to read the last few lines to myself again to try to recapture that feeling, but it it wouldn't work. I would need the rest of the parts of it because it's, it builds so expertly and it, um, it like pivots you, you know, these little pseudo sequiturs that you mentioned and, and all these, you know, they, they... see that's one of my favorite things that somebody has said to me about this. Book. Oh, that's, I'm so glad. <laughs> that's exactly how I feel when I read them, that if I just like look at a line at random, it doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, why did I publish that in a book my god but if I actually read it you know if I like go through the process again it it works it's well like, I mean oh, right I, I it has don't, to be in has to be in its sequence I don't I don't want to take away because like at the line level at the sentence <laughs> level it's extremely pleasurable because your word choice and your humor and um just like just these these truly wonderful places you take us at every sentence that there is extreme pleasure there, but this, the, the catharsis that I felt like the excitement that I felt getting to the end and seeing where you took us, I really had to go back and take the steps again. And I just thought like, holy shit, that is amazing. <laughs> that I is so cool. That. that really makes me happy. <laughs> Good. I mean, I, I, um, I, I'm, I'm in awe. <laughs> <laughs> So I love that that's how you refer to it as, as um, like game-like or, um, you know, like path-like in a way. Yeah. It's like following instructions in a way. Sorry. I feel like I keep, yeah. like Alex keeps trying to talk and I'm interrupting. No, no. no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do, I do feel like sometimes like when I read my, my favorite poems and I, in that collection and I, when I feel like they really work, it's like, I, I just sort of feel like, oh, I'm leading people through this thought process that I had at exactly the pace that like they need to be at to understand how my mind was moving when I was trying to write it because Mm -hmm. writing is slower than reading right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so I tried to kind of slow it down with the gaps on the page so it sort of approximates the like the gaps that I took in between (laughs) thinking like what's the next step here what's the next step in this set of instructions one of my favorite things about story collections or poetry collections when you get to talk to the writer is just telling them your favorites because (laughs) 
sometimes the reaction is like, oh yeah, everybody says that. And <laughs> the, the initial time that they were told that was surprising, which is usually the case for me. But uh, so I just wanted to tell you my favorites and we'll get <laughs> your reaction. Please. <laughs> so idea of a meadow and moon news are probably my two favorites. The last but, line in Moon News, holy shit. So good. But my favorite <laughs> stanza in the whole book is in uh, The Vagueness of the Moment. <gasps> yeah. This, my favorite stanza is, <laughs> I play an eight-hour track of rain sounds on windows all day on a loop. The sky is too high and I want to feel crushed. <laughs> That's so I Alex love Higley. That. Oh my that god, is that so is Alex. good. If we were all still on AIM, that would be Alex Higley's. Like, <laughs> yeah, that'd be message. my away message. BRB, okay, mom's so back. Nobody has mentioned that poem in any respect to me ever. That that poem oh. means a lot to me um, because I think that was the first poem I wrote in that format. So you know, some of the poems are in that shorter kind of. Mm-hmm. like 15 line five three line stanzas and I think that was the first of those that I wrote yeah I'm pretty I love sure that. it was and then I decided to write some more of those to kind of break up the sort of longer more essayistic poems but no you're the first person to ever mention that poem to me as far as I can oh. recall <laughs> so thank you I'm so glad what do, who, what have people been telling you is their favorite are there ones that people keep bringing up A bunch of people like Moon News, not to make mm-hmm. you feel. No, no, it's like great. Pumpkin, pumpkin and spice. Basic. Listen, the moon. No, yeah. I drink moon, a pumpkin spice latte. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, um, that might that might be my pumpkin spice poem of the book. A lot of people like that one, um, but I like that one too, and I'm really happy that people like it. Like, I I feel like it's the perfect last poem mm-hmm. in this book. Also, I think the title is like, it's so brilliant that like obviously the poem is incredible but the sometimes i feel like with poetry an especially brilliant title will like mm-hmm. <laughs> truly elevate the entire work and oh moon news, yeah moon I, news I is feel like, like i can't oh finish a book of poetry until i know what the title is like that's mm. such an important part more so than i mean maybe that's always true i don't know how do you guys feel about titles like where do they come to you in the process man alex and i were just going back and forth about titles yeah we were actually he's we were, better he's way better at it than well, I, I don't know about that i think we just were i i recently had the privilege honestly of editing a story of Lindsay's. it's, it's getting published tomorrow actually elisa oh my so God. <gasps> yeah that's right yes so and what in word west yeah it's Yay! gonna be the first uh i can't wait to read it thanks we're excited <laughs> It literally is. It better be. It better be. <laughs> oh my God. I know that's actually funny. I forgot that that's what we had been talking about. But um, but yeah, Lindsay and I were going back and forth on titles. And I I think we both had pretty strong inclinations in not different directions, but just we had strong feelings that didn't align initially. Yeah. Is that fair, yeah. Lindsay? Oh, totally. And And then we kind of reached a point where we realized we had similar aims, but we were definitely approaching it in a, in a different way. And I, where we arrived, what Lindsay came up with a great title, but 
it's not one that I ever would have come up with without us going back and forth. And I totally. didn't come up with it. Lindsay came up with it. But, my titles um, are always like extremely not subtle. So like my original title was <laughs> Britney Spears is a murderer and it's not. <laughs> And you can't like, go wrong he's like yeah that stuff happens in the book but it's not or in the story but it's not actually what the story's about how about these titles and i was like oh. <laughs> right she was like it was so great the email back i don't know i can't remember if it was an email or a text but the the response back was just like uh actually no how about these and yeah. i was like uh no i don't like any of those uh-huh. it's like oh man how long are we gonna go back and forth this is kind of exciting it was really great because <laughs> When you're working with a friend, you know, like, I think my, always my impulse would just be to like, eh, what does it really matter? But like, I knew I could, like, I could go back and forth with Alex and, you know, we would still be siblings at the end of the day. <laughs> um, but anyway, your original question was like, how we feel about titles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think I go uh, obvious and Alex is more um, like, uh, what's the word? Um, literary no it's not no, literary it's more know. like I, um i don't know i i don't thoughtful, i don't really thoughtful. Ha- i don't know about that i just i mean think i think that i do not need a title to as i'm working at all and i don't need a title i don't you know we were talking earlier lisa about different stages of the process that people constantly talk about and i feel comfortable having no title at all for a longer work until mm-hmm being completely wrapped and then arriving at a title and kind of going back into the work for a kind of what's obviously never a last pass, but another pass to see if it imbues the work with a new feeling or texture. And usually, even if it's wrong, even if it's the wrong title, going back in with that kind of uh, like different kind of beacon to take you through is meaningful. And I think that even if you end up still using that as a way to get to the next thing. Um, so I do, I really, so in that way, I agree with you that it's at a certain point, I do need something to be attached firmly to have a better understanding of the work, even if yeah. it's the wrong thing, but I don't necessarily need it while drafting. I, I can be deluded about a title while I'm drafting. That's fine. It makes me think of, you know, when you see a, a painting and a textbook and then there's a little detail close up of a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like, you know, what you just said about the beacon, the title is kind of like the detail mm-hmm. in the textbook that changes the way you feel about the rest of the book. Totally. So yeah, for me, I, re- I just remember I wrote the title poem and I was like, ooh, yeah, normal distance. That just sounds like a sexy poetry book title like, yes. <laughs> and I was like you know maybe 50% of the way done writing the poems and I was just like yeah that's I think that's my working title I really like that and then but then I remember so that was like before the pandemic because I've been writing this book for a long time and then you know it, it dropped off but remember like the first three or so months of the pandemic like just the phrase like social distancing social distancing was was everywhere and I was like oh that kind of ruins my title (laughs) that's crazy because I I didn't even think think of of that that. phrase yeah Yeah, enough time went by that it didn't matter anymore but for a while I was like oh god do I have to change my title because everyone's gonna think I'm making some kind of reference to like the opposite of social distancing yeah normal distance because that's not what I meant at all you're like an anti-vaxxer poet poet 
Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. You're just like, you know, normal distance, not social distance. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was like, oh God. But I love this it. is a poetry book for anti-vaxxers. Yeah. But nobody has mentioned that since it came out. Right. That, was just a, that was just a thing in my head. Um, but yeah, but that, so I, I usually like when I, when I read from the book, I usually read that poem because that's, that is one of my favorites. And because it feels like a kind of, it's just a good like exemplar of what the poems mm-hmm. are like. Um, and so then people will often tell me, oh yeah, that's one of my favorites. Um, it's funny going back. So in my memory of the titles, they were all longer, not very, not super long, but you know, like I'm not mourning there is voids that to philosophize is to learn to die. Like they were more that length, but as I'm going back through, there are a lot of two word titles, like (laughs) mirror, mirror, random assignment. Don't think certain conditions, moon news. There's a ton of two word titles, but if you would have just asked me without me flipping back through, I would have said, no, just normal distance and moon news, but it, I, that's I not even close to the The long titles. That that yeah. must be what it is. Yeah. And it, yeah, that partly started because in the beginning, with my weird process of like needing to sort of collage and curate something because I forgot how to write a poem. <laughs> Um, I would be like, and I also forgot how to title a poem. So I'd be like, what the hell am I going to call this? And <laughs> like, I, kept, I was just, I don't know. I, my brain was just broken, I guess, when I first started writing this book. But I would, I mean, I was also like just really in essay mode. And mm. I wrote these like during the period when I was writing other books of essays. So I would be like, okay, let me just kind of flip around and try to find like a cool quote from Montaigne or whatever that is related to this thing that this poem is kind of about and I'll just use that as my title so I don't have to come up with the title and <laughs> like I just I don't know I feel like a lot of this book is cheating honestly like it's just full of like cheat codes <laughs> <laughs> like yeah so that so those early long titles are totally just ripped off from Montaigne but again at least <clears throat> I credited him in the notes <laughs> yeah you know, I don't think, I think he's, anyone. he's not going to notice, you know, <laughs> yeah, hard to say my, um, one of my favorites in the book is new theories on boredom. I was just going to say, that's another big favorite. I, and my, one of my favorite parts is I don't trust books that aren't a little boring. <laughs> I like How that. Wonderful. That, is, that line really pops. <laughs> there should be different words for boring because simple and boring because complex. Mm. holy moly (laughs) that is so wonderful when thinking about books books that I love you know that poem I think is the best example of like the cathartic feeling you're talking about where it like it really just like keeps that's the longest poem in the book I'm pretty sure and it just I think it like it gets boring because it's like really she's still going on about (laughs) what it was so I wanted to feel like oh god you're like hitting a wall but then you just break through the wall Kool-Aid man style finally and you're like oh yes like boredom became interesting again I mean like boredom I didn't know I don't know like boredom to me feels like the most exciting human condition (laughs) 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 isn't that a weird thing I, I don't know like <clears throat> it's it's like such a innately human thing to be yeah. bored and think to oneself I'm so bored you know like I don't think like a lion laying around is like god this is boring you know like <laughs> like maybe they are bored but you know like they don't have that like they look bored yeah um you know like they're like I'm resting because later I'm gonna have to like run really fast or something but like we humans are just like you know Joe versus the volcano is 
angry boring as Elisa says in her poem <laughs> after hours is the worst movie that anyone's favorite that is anyone's favorite mo- favorite movie I don't know I, I just think boredom and boredom appears in some other poems too um which is I don't know why that's so exciting in a book of poetry but it really feels like like someone is sitting next to you and being like listen mm-hmm. you know <laughs> I just yeah, and that to philosophize is to learn to die. I hope I die of boredom in my sleep. <laughs> I think it's related, Lindsay. You were just, I think it's related to the way the poems are laid out on the page and the fact, I mean, both of you have talked about how there is a real like a creative quality to the poems within each poem and a kind of release or catharsis at the end. However, I'm not sure which word you used, Lindsay, but I think that it there's a kind of steadiness to the, to the pacing of the poems and the way they appear on the page here. Like they're not chunky poems. Like they're, it's like evenly spaced. They're a normal distance apart from each other. It's it's a kind, like there's a kind of, there's a kind of regularity to the way they're arranged. That is, I think when you get a line, like that line that you read from, from the, I can't, what's the name of the poem with the boring title in the title new theories on boredom yes new theories on boredom like when you get to that line within poems that are arranged this way i feel like there's a kind of extra layer as a result of it being arranged the way it is it's wonderful yeah yeah my um our our friend Catherine nichols yeah um when she she read one of the poems like you know right after i wrote it there's it's that line um it's the one about where it starts off talking about like William Burroughs mm-hmm. shooting his wife and how like mm-hmm. you know we can never we can never really know if he did it or not I mean if he meant to do it we know that he did it but we don't know if he meant to or not <laughs> because he was really drunk and everything um and there was like nobody else there who wasn't drunk <laughs> um but then like the flip where it goes this helps me think about infinity mm-hmm. I remember when she read that she said like oh that made me raise my eyebrows and I was like oh I mean that's such a simple thing to say but I was like that's exactly what I'm going for like what how like it just isn't it crazy when somebody explains your project to you in just the most simplistic obvious terms and I was like why should that be what I want but it is like that's what I wanted when I wrote that poem I wanted somebody to be like you know (laughs) just just to sit up a little bit like a couple of centimeters (laughs) and I think that's the the pacing the normal distance you're talking about is meant to like make it be a little bit more surprising because Mm -hmm. there's these gaps that kind of lull you right like I want yes I want you to kind of be lulled and then all of a sudden like just Mm -hmm. just the tiniest bit just the tiniest bit shocked just a tiny yes (laughs) and I'm like wait what did she just do (laughs) you know like having to go back how funny like we want these tiny little effects and then if you're actually able to achieve them it's so thrilling (laughs) it's so thrilling to read and I'm sure it was so thrilling like to get to that in the writing process well but then you get as I you know as I was telling you and I said I decided to read an essay you get so sick of them and you like don't believe in them anymore you're like well what on earth was I doing (laughs) what a pointless project yeah now it's up to the reader like your work is done now it's up to us yes exactly it's that was written by my past self has nothing to do with me (laughs) although unfortunately I'm the one who has to promote it 
this is my picture in the book, but <laughs> I know, I know. I wish what do I you would... think? Like you mentioned in your like early, you know, days of writing that it was more like just like transcribing that you didn't even feel the effort. And now there's effort. Why? And yeah. I think that's true, you know, for prose writers as well. And I want to know, like, what is it about age that, that takes that from us? Like, what is it? Yeah. What do you think it was for you? Oh gosh. Um, sometimes I wonder if it's just busyness, like Hmm. the, the horrible busyness of life, because like, I'm almost, we were just talking about boredom. I'm almost nostalgic about boredom because I don't feel bored very often anymore yeah. it's mm-hmm. so rare and it's not every I feel like everybody always says oh it's because you have a phone that's not it it's not because I have a phone like I have easy access to the internet <laughs> without yeah. my phone like I have a day job <laughs> I have a 40 hour a week job where I'm sitting in front of a computer with internet access all day like my phone is not a factor in terms of whether or not I'm able to access boredom it's like I just, like, boredom means you have free time and you don't know what to do with it. Like, that just doesn't happen to me anymore. Like, I don't, I don't have enough time to do the things that I want to do (laughs) at all. So I feel like the muse almost is married to being kind of trapped somewhere in time where you you know like you don't want to be where you are and um there's not something else you're supposed to be doing like it's like the muse kind of comes to rescue you or something but and like is it like she comes when no one else is watching and now there's like some people watching you know like there's there's people who are listening right like there's you have <laughs> excuse me you have an audience right yeah she shies away from that i feel sometimes you know yeah that bitch yeah um but yeah I I think it's just like my mind my mind just doesn't work this the same way it used to it's I I read that I read that like hunter-gatherer societies because there are some that still exist um don't actually eat any more than we do this is gonna blow your mind I hope I hope it's gonna blow your mind they don't eat any more than we do in a day even though they like walk all day long like Mm -hmm. they're they're burning quote unquote, like 10,000 calories a day is as the way we think about how calories work, but they eat like the same amount of food as us. Maybe, maybe a little less <laughs> like 2000 calories or less a day. And they don't, you know, they don't starve to death. They're fine. And it's because their bodies are just like more efficient oh. with their, their food. And like, this, and this must've been the case in the past when all societies were hunter gatherer societies. Right. And so these scientists who are studying them, um, like one of the things they think that we do with the calories that we eat, since we're not walking all day long, is that we have anxiety. Oh my God. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm going to send you a link. This totally blew my mind. It does. You know, because like, I don't want to be like these simple people that are like, well, back in the day, things were, you know, like we didn't have food allergies, you know? Like, (laughs) oh, I know. And I'm not trying to be a crazy person either. Right. But it does feel like this is science. Yes. Like, why are we all so anxious? Anxiety. Yes. Anxiety seems to be a symptom of modern society. It's like your brain is burning the calories now. Yes. Yeah. And so, like, for me, when I'm in a period where I'm really, really busy, I wake up in the middle of the night to think. And it's like, my brain just knows, like, you didn't give me enough time to just sit and think during the day. And so guess what? We're going to be awake from three to 5 a.m. thinking about all the stuff that we have to think about. Like, like my brain needs that time. And if I just used it doing something else during the day, it like gives me insomnia. (laughs) Oh my God, this really is like... (laughs) blowing my my little brain (laughs) so yeah I just I think I'm too busy all the time now that I'm old and I have like two full careers and you know I'm all and I'm also like trying to like maintain all the relationships I've ever built up in my life you know Mm -hmm. when I was a kid I had three best friends and that was it now you only have one (laughs) (laughs) I just, yeah, I think I don't have enough time. And so the muse is like, well, you don't have time for me. I don't have time for you. <laughs> yeah. I that, to add- yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, Jesus, Lindsay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, listen, I'm bowled over. Okay. God. It'll take me a while to come back. Go ahead. I'm going to go away from hunter gatherers. Sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, one of the things I think is so interesting about your writing life and your life life is that you, you know, you're a New York times poetry columnist. You have a full-time job as well, completely unrelated to writing. And yet the perception of you probably for most people I'm guessing is that, you know, you work full-time for the New York times reviewing poetry books. That's, that's how you make, your money and then you go home and you write your essays and your poems. Um, I was wondering, you know, is that the case? And if so, has that misperception, like what does that misperception do to you? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually I, I struggle with that a lot with people's assumptions about me. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, people constantly assume that I live in New York, which I don't, um, people constantly are like, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm going to be in New York and I would love to meet you in the other New York Times staff or whatever. And I have to be like, I'm not staff. (laughs) It's like, I have a tiny side gig as a freelancer. It's, I promise you, (laughs) not, not however much money you think it is, it's less. Um, and, but I mean, I'm not complaining about, like, I still really like doing it. I love being able to write about poetry for the times. I really do. But it's, I mean, it's like four columns a year (laughs) and it's about poetry. So, um, yeah, that is, that is not the dream job that many people imagine it is at all. Has Um, the column given, has it had a big impact on your writing career though? I mean, even if it is, you know, only four columns a year, has it, has it changed your writing life? You think? I think the major impact it has had is that every bio now, 
like starts with New York Times poetry columnist. And so and that is so badass. I mean, so, it is. But, I mean, come on. but it does create the perception that Alice was just talking about that, like, I'm <laughs> fancier and more established and more like privileged, honestly, than I am because, you know, it's as true. Much as, I mean, like, as much I, as that's like a, a, a nice thing to have, like, and have some power there in terms of like okay wow my my aesthetic judgments judgments and the things that I choose to write about you know that that can make a difference for people's careers and I take that very seriously but I do think as you say that people think that's my job Mm -hmm. or like I I just I I don't know I mean if you want to throw out some numbers like it's it's like I make less money doing that than you think I do I promise you Mm -hmm. so it's it drives me nuts when um, when people kind of like have expectations that God, it's hard to I don't even know I don't even know how to describe the expectations exactly. But I think it's just that people think I'm in a position to to do things that I'm not in a position to do. I don't even know how to come up with examples. It's like, like I still have a full, a totally full-time 40 hour a week job. Like just, right. and I don't do that just because I like, you know, I love it. Although like my job is fine. I like my job. I, I love the people I work with and, you know, but I've been, I've been working the same job for a long time. And the same reason, the reason I've never quit is because I need the money. <laughs> like that's how I, that's yeah, my the reason income. people have jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's where I get my health insurance and that's how, you know, I pay my rent. That's like, that is my, that is the source of my income. Any income I get from writing is a little bonus. It's a lit, it's a little bonus. It's not very much. I, it's, it's little. Like I don't, it's not very much. I couldn't live on it. Like even close, not even close. Yeah. yeah I think like for a lot of people, like that is the end goal is like, you are a columnist for the New York times. Yeah. No. And so no. it's easy for them to assume that, that, you know, like imagining the apartment with the floor to ceiling bookshelves and the leather couch and, you know, you typing away beside your enormous window and, you know, like, I mean, uh, she is staring at the Empire State Building right now. Right, that's so, true. That's true. I mean, <laughs> don't make me cry. <laughs> and a hotel room that I can't afford. But that's such an old school, you know, like in 2022, nobody's making money. Yeah. Mm-hmm doing anything in writing you know like I mean that's the the thing is like it's like it's a good by the word rate for what it is but Mm -hmm. it's four columns a year and they're each 1200 words (laughs) like just think about it if anybody thought about it for 30 seconds Mm You know, but they don't. They just read the bio and make assumptions. But like all bios are inflationary, you know? I mean, in some ways, like because you have another job and because you have a whole other life, obviously, it's kind of awesome that it's only four columns a year in one sense. I know. I don't know that I would be able to do it otherwise. Right. Like because of the impact, like because of the weight that that carries, and I'm sure that. Okay, I'm sure occasionally the assumptions people are making are actually providing you with some pretty cool opportunities. I'm guessing, 
Um, it's kind of cool. Maybe. No, yeah, I don't know. Oh, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't it's know. Hard it to is, say, right? But I, 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 no I, yeah. I often think I mean, people just think, oh, you're like already established. You don't need any help. So nobody offers me any opportunities anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nope. She belongs to the New York Times now. I don't Hands get, like, I don't get I mean, a ton got, of emails like offering me things. Well, we got you on by contacting the Times. So I'm a little confused by that. <laughs> that understanding is a little weird to me, but okay. I mean, I do fine. I'm not like, I'm not complaining about like no, no. My, my writing publishing contacts or anything like that like I do fine I know a lot of editors and like I obviously like I prioritize writing and so I I make time but that means I deprioritize other stuff Mm -hmm. and but I can't deprioritize my 40 hour a week job and like that's what the only thing that bothers me is when people think that I'm just sitting around yeah staring at the empire state building <laughs> typing on my typewriter <laughs> like just you know writing an essay every three months and that's my life that's right my life. and i mean in some ways like that that's one of the reasons why Lindsay and i even have this show uh right. it's just because like truly when you when you hear you know whether it's you or whoever like what actually makes up this person's writing life i think it is kind of um I'm trying to think. I almost used the word I hate. What's what's the word I hate Ooh. less? I want to know it, what the word you hate. I want to know the word you hate too. I hate the word humbling because it's not oh. what I'm it's not what I mean. It's yeah. not really what I mean. What I mean is that I think it is um sobering. Sobering, yeah, that's a good word. And it's just like it's a good rem- it's just a good reminder that there even for people who are in it, that there is constant effort needed. And that constant effort, you don't really hit a, it doesn't matter who you are. You do not hit a point where you're coasting. If you're really doing this, like, yeah, you just have to keep going. I want to quit all the time. <laughs> I do. I want to quit. All do you the though? Time. Yeah. Huh. It's just, it's just like, yeah, the, the level of effort never, it's like, it, it feels like it never gets any less. And it's like, mm-hmm. but the thing is like, I care about it more than ever. That's right. The, that's the horrid part. Like the more I do it, the more I care about it, the more important it is to me. But the other parts of my life that need my time and attention are also like increasing. Mm-hmm. So it's just more and more things competing for less and less time. Yeah. I definitely care about writing and books more right now than I ever did in my life. Because I think I I think part of it is a function of the pandemic. I think part of it is a function of having kids and having to. I mean, same same as you, busy, right? It's just it, it's it's different forms of busyness. It's different forms of your day being occupied by either things you love or things you love less. But I think having to work for the time and. And like the feeling of even just reading or rereading a book and it being like the best part of your day or just like something where you really do feel like, you know, opened up is so special. And I just think that there's so many things right now in our world that don't try and get the light shining out and they don't care about humans and they don't care about what's beautiful and 
I know all three of us have had moments as readers and writers where you just know it matters. And that is so important to me. And I just, I feel like we need to keep like pushing for those moments for other people and for ourselves, because I don't know, I just, I feel so like there's so much working against us. Yeah. So thank you. That's beautiful. Um, I, I mean, the reason I don't quit is because like when I read a book I love and I want to talk about it, like, and talking about it often in my world means like writing about it to my friends on the internet right. <laughs> or writing an essay or whatever. And, you know, where people, people responding that way, like that, that, that is joyful to me that is that is one of the few moments in life that I do feel like I'm living for like Mm -hmm. it's that simple it's just it's that simple that like if I read a book I love I want to talk to somebody about it and that's like worth living for Mm -hmm. I was just thinking how much I agree with everything you guys are saying and like reading is everything you know like Mm -hmm. it is absolutely everything (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Somebody said on Twitter, I mean, somebody, I don't know. So like, I don't care or anything, but I just saw somebody (laughs) saying on Twitter, like life's too short to read Proust or something. And I just like everything, like I haven't even read all the Proust, but like everything in my body and mind railed against it. I was just like, Mm -hmm. wow, you don't understand life. If you think life's too short to read Proust, (laughs) that's not how life works. That's not how time works. That's not how books work. Like life exists so that you can read Proust. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> the only thing we can do that <clears throat> the bored lion can't do, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, is make art and talk about it and think right. about it. Well, it um, means everything to me. And so I'm really happy to talk to people that it means everything to as well. Yeah. Thank you for coming on tonight, Elisa. This was great. We were really looking forward to talking. Thank you so much. Elisa, yours was the first poem I've ever read to my four-year-old daughter. So <gasps> it's special. Incredibly special. It's so special. I'm honored. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, that was really great to talk. I really love her poems. I love poems that, uh, I don't know why I'm so intimidated by poetry. I know why you I'm- shouldn't be, you know, you know how to talk about all kinds of writing. You're I used to write poetry. I used, that's what I'm under- saying. Yeah, I used to write a lot of poetry. I thought I was a poet and I just, but I'm, I guess, I guess I like, um, um, I'm like patronizing toward it. I'm like, oh, poetry hmm. is poet, you know, Yeah. but it, her stuff is so funny and like surprising and um, just human and just truly wonderful. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, it's, it's one of those like gateway books that I'm like, oh, more, more, more. I need more. Yeah. I mean, yeah, good writing is good writing, right? I mean, I think, sure. yeah. Um, you're sick. Go get some tea or something, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye, bud. Bye. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Higley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah, yeah.